Living God, help us to hear your word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow your way in all faithfulness, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Amen. Today's scripture reading is Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn us back to dust and say, turn back, you mortals. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are consumed by your anger, by your wrath we are overwhelmed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all our days pass away under your wrath, our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of our life are seventy years, or perhaps eighty, if we are strong. Even then, their span is only toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. So teach us to count our days, that we may gain a wise heart. Turn, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be manifest to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and prosper for us the work of our hands. Oh, prosper the work of our hands. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let me tell you a story that is history at its broadest definition, maybe. Of course, it's not just about the story. History studies our past stories, analyzes them, seeks to understand them, in part so we might have a better understanding of the story that is unfolding before us even today. That's what history does, but that's what faith does too. So let me start with a story. This one is borrowed from Diana Butler Bass, a professor and theologian who has a PhD in church history. She tells the story of having dinner with a friend, and in catching up on life, the conversation turned to Dr. Bass's work and how it is born out of a genuine commitment to the church. I just don't understand how you can still be a Christian, her friend said. How is a historian of all people able to be Christian? Well, I know it isn't the easiest thing these days, Bass said back, but I just can't get away from Jesus and his teachings. Oh, Jesus, her friend said, I have no problem with Jesus. 
It's all the stuff that happened after Jesus that makes me mad. In other words, a lot of the stuff that Christians have done in the name of our Christ is in no small contradiction to many of his teachings. Her friend's comment remained with her, mostly, she says, because she has heard countless others say similar things. She says, Jesus fascinates millions, but Christianity, the religion that began with Jesus, leaves countless people cold. What happened after Jesus, oppression, heresy trials, schisms, inquisitions, witch hunts, pogroms, and religious wars, well, that witnesses to so much human ambition and cruelty. This dismal historical record surely was not what Jesus intended when he preached a merciful kingdom, one based on the transformative power of God's love. As a result, she says, for spiritual searchers and secular people alike, the Christian God is just not worth the questions that history raises. Now Christians, of course, we have tried our best to wrestle with this. And with the admission that I am oversimplifying things here, I think the Christian response to these very fair questions often swings to two extremes. One extreme is to claim that human history is not God's fault People have free agency, and the church in the past simply failed to live up to Jesus' ideals. History, then, becomes little more than a litany of Christian mistakes. And this line of thinking often then results in a willingness to throw out much of our tradition in hopes that the future will be better than all of that. The other extreme sees God in every moment of human history in the sense that God controls history. God operates a sort of divine marionette, moving every person in action. So natural and human evil, then, is an expression of God's judgment. History becomes a fearful, moralizing lesson for people to get right with God lest they face terrible consequences in this life and beyond. History as a litany of mistakes, or history as a long, fear-based, moralizing lesson, well, neither of those extremes feels particularly helpful to me, nor particularly faithful. Now, don't get me wrong, especially since I suspect that we, Shandon, are by and large more likely to swing toward the first extreme than the second, if pressed. So let me say this clearly. When an institution as powerful as the church perpetrates wrongs, an honest accounting and genuine repentance is needed. And in our own Presbyterian tradition, there are a few in particular that come to mind. There was a day when Presbyterians offered the most biblically sensitive, theologically sophisticated argument for how one could follow Jesus 
and own slaves at the very same time. And there was a day when Presbyterians would take a vote yet again and decide that, nope, women really shouldn't preach, at least not yet, because of all the trouble it would cause. (laughs) And then there was a day when Presbyterians would deny equal standing in the church to any LGBTQIA person, no matter how much of their life had been devoted to Christ and his church. Those were not our best days. About these and about many other things across all manner of Christian tradition, the church has been wrong. The church has been dangerously and terribly wrong. And when we have been wrong, especially in ways that have threatened or compromised the humanity of any of God's children, The church needs to own that, in part because it's necessary for healing, but also because that's the only way we have any chance at all of learning from our history. And we are nothing without our history. Because while the church hasn't gotten it completely right, we haven't gotten it completely wrong either. When we take a realistic view of our history, we can see that at times we have actually embodied the heart of our founder. But a realistic view of our history, a realistic view of any history across all ages and disciplines, well, that means coming to terms with our limitations and finitude. You see, not one of us can tell every story. We all see the world through our own eyes, through our own lives, and there's nothing wrong with that. We just have to remember that it's happening because every time we choose stories to tell, that means we are by default also choosing which stories aren't told. In preparing for this sermon, I was reading an essay called The Ten Worst Moments in Church History. It was a real delight. (laughs) I was slogging through it half-heartedly when I came to number four. Number four read, the fourth worst moment in church history was the Reformation. Now, I don't want to assume too much about the knowledge that anyone brings into this room, so just as a reminder, without the Reformation, the Presbyterian Church would not exist. The Reformation in the 1500s split the church. We had all been one church, one Roman church, and then we split. That's a remarkably oversimplified explanation. But part of that church split away and became the Protestant church, of which we today are a part. So from our point of view, the Reformation may not have been perfect, but it certainly doesn't belong on a list of the worst moments of church history. But see, if you read the entry on item number four, it begins this way. 
Since we are Catholics, we have to believe that the Reformation was bad. Now, it is not my intent here to debate the merits of Catholicism versus Protestantism, especially because, as some of you remember, I grew up Catholic. It's simply to point out that if you want to come up with a list of the 10 worst moments in church history, or even the 10 best moments in church history, it all depends on who you ask. The same is true of a holiday we observe this weekend, Columbus Day. From an American-European perspective, Columbus discovered America. Though that assessment would come as a complete surprise to all of the indigenous people who'd been calling that same land home for years. History is often told from the perspective of the most powerful, simply because they have the opportunity to shape the narrative. And we do well to remember that, because when God entered human history in the person of Jesus Christ, we learned a powerful lesson, that we are to listen to the lost and the least, that the first shall be last and the last shall be first, that those who are passed by, they shall be lifted up. And if you only consider the so-called cream of the crop, you will miss out on a big part of the kingdom of heaven. The Society of Biblical Literature, which is an incredibly nerdy gathering of thousands of biblical scholars and historians, and I can refer to it that way because I've attended. It's really something horrifying in so many ways. It has a whole track of their study together dedicated to what they have called the Bible from the underside. A whole swath of academic and ecclesial study is dedicated to reading and hearing texts from perspectives that are different from those that have dominated the field for so long. They intentionally lift up voices long overlooked or even long silenced. And it has enriched and expanded our whole understanding of biblical interpretation in so many ways it's almost unquantifiable. This line of thinking is what can help us marvel even more at the way Mary says yes when the angel Gabriel visits her. Because for ages and ages, the standard and accepted interpretation was that, of course, she would say yes. She was young and in a precarious position and in no way willing to stand up to one of God's own angels. But if we consider the story from her own perspective, if we consider for even a moment that she could have enough agency to say no, well, then actually her yes becomes all the more astonishing. It may not be a surprise that it took female biblical scholars to offer this possibility. Because we all see the world and everything in it through our own eyes. That is true in history and in scripture. There's always more than one point of view. 
And when it comes to reckoning with the painful parts of church history, we need to acknowledge them, but we should not let them define the church. Because if we throw out our tradition in the name of the complicated parts, we will miss out on the moments when history helps us to write and understand the story of our present and our future. The need for history and all its varied views, that's why Howard Zinn wrote A People's History of the United States. And that's why Diana Butler Bass wrote A People's History of Christianity. Because they knew there is always more than one narrative for a time, the dominant story of the church is that of the Inquisition. But there was also Peter Waldo, who gave all his money to the poor and preached a grace so extreme that people all over France flocked to him. And when the Inquisition came to the south of France, they were unable to do the work they intended because Peter Waldo and all of his followers kept them from doing so. And while the dominant story is that the church did not stand up against the persecution of Jews during the Holocaust, there is also the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and all who were with him as they plotted an overthrow and a murder. Even when the ugly moments of our past make it seem as though God must have been absent, looking from another perspective can remind us that God is always there and that God is continuing to work through people in all circumstances. And for better or worse, that includes people like you and me. Embracing our history from every angle allows us to recognize hope today. Because knowing our history and being honest about it, that is what will enable us to hear and see and follow in the midst of tremendously difficult days when God shows up yet again and says, look, I am doing a new thing once more. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.